Let's start with prayer. Uh, Lord Jesus, I thank you for our time together. We thank you that you have been with us all this weekend long. Uh, we have a great group of kids, and it just really encourages me. Lord, thank you for uh, having somebody to lean on. Uh, as we all depend on you, Lord, we pray that you would uh, open up our lives to know you better. Lord, I pray that your hand would move in this group, that your word would speak through my lips as you've prepared my heart for the last month on this talk. Lord, we ask that your blessing be upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, some of this you've heard if you came a couple weeks ago So, to a Bible study. So if you're like, hey, I've heard that illustration, great. Listen to it again. Um, we don't all need to know that you heard it once, okay? All right. So let's review a little bit. We've talked about some things. The last session, we kind of talked about rules and boundaries and moral codes. Are those important? Yes, right. We've, we've established that. We've come across that. The next step for some of you guys is going to be I have to be able to explain that, okay? So that might take a few more YouTube video watchings of something and figure that out, okay? Uh, but you need to do some research so you can come and defend your faith in those simple little things. Because a moral code is really, really important. People, you cannot explain a moral code without something greater than uh, society. It has to be bigger than that. And if there's a moral code, there has to be a moral code giver. And we believe that's uh, God the Father, right? We believe that's Yahweh. Okay. Did you know that Yahweh means creator God? Okay. That's what it means. So when, you, when God first introduces himself in the beginning, Yahweh created Okay, it tells what he did. He's the creator, and so he created. That's why he's creator God, okay? He eventually becomes Jehovah Jireh. He becomes El Shaddai. Jehovah Jireh means he's our provider. El Shaddai means something, but I can't remember right offhand. Um, I'm going to mess it up if I try to guess, so I'm not going to. Um, and then he eventually becomes uh, Yeshua is another name. What's that sound a lot like? Yeshua or Joshua, Joshua, do you hear it? Joshua, son of God, or yes, Yeshua. And then did you know that Yeshua is actually how you pronounce Jesus in Hebrew? Okay. God Almighty, so very, very similar to, yes, and that's when he introduced himself to Abraham as I am God Almighty. It's the first time he kind of changes his name, and Abraham's like, I'm paying attention, <laughs> right? So that's what he asked us to do tonight is pay attention. So um, then Alonzo, we talked about when somebody plays by their own rules, how frustrating is that? So what happens if you're playing basketball with your brother and he changes the rules to, you don't have to take it back anymore. You want to come to blows with your brother, right? You're just like, oh, I'm, come on, Aiden, that's not fair, right? He would win. And are you going to take that from? We're going down to the gym right now, finding out. Yeah, yeah. 
So that's important too. So then we talked about morality. Morality is important. We kind of did some defining of it and we walked through why it's important. So let's look at the people in this room. Who is the most moral, outstanding person in this room? Yeah, God would be, and he would be the only one that's actually the right answer for that, right? So who's gonna, who are we going to pick? Person, not God. Okay, we're going to do me? I'm going to pick, I'm going to pick Bethany, okay, because it just makes it easier, and I'm going to pick on my daughter a little bit, okay? So, out of everybody here, we're going to say that Bethany has the best chance of being good to get to heaven, okay? And so we look at Bethany, and we're like, yeah, Bethany's got it together. She's got her stuff, and we know that she's, um, but wait a minute. We were there at lunchtime. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? So the standard, what's God's standard? Perfection. Okay, now, why? Right. He can't be in the presence of sin. We have to be perfect to be in his presence, and he is perfect. And so he is only asking what he is doing himself. So to get back to that perfection, right? Okay, so think about this. Adam and Eve, before they ate the fruit, they had moral perfection. They didn't know what evil was. So everything they did was good, okay? When they doubted God, when Satan brought that doubt in, was that sin? Not yet. Not yet. That's, more clo- that's probably defined more closer as temptation, right? When they fell was when that, the act of eating. That was an act of rebellion, an act of a defiance. I know that this is wrong, but I'm going to choose to do it my way all by myself. Right? So, even Bethany doesn't make that standard. That doesn't bode well for the rest of us. If we pick the best, the cream of the crop out of the, out of the room, and now we're all falling short of that standard. Fortunately, I picked my daughter because I knew she already knew that. That's why I, I, I was safe to pick Bethany. She knows that. I know that. And we're okay with that, aren't we, Bethany? Because Jesus is our rescuer. Hey, he's our rescuer. Yeah. All right. So we all failed. If, if Bethany was that standard and she didn't make it, we're not going to make it. So who's the rule giver again? Who gives the rules? <laughs> it was Rebecca for a while, right? Right? But yes, it's God. God has to be, there has to be something bigger than us, bigger society, and we, just, we decided it was God that gives the rules. Okay? Well, how do we know? How do you know there are rules out there that have to be adhered to? Yeah. 
it is that you're on the right track. But why the law? Who established that? They do, they do. They're generally based on 10 of them, right? Yeah, we have the amendments in the Constitution, and that gives us a structure, right? But where does that structure come from originally? Yeah, um, back in ancient society, they say there's, there's generally about six to eight rules that all societies have, okay? Our culture, we have 10, the Ten Commandments. So where were they, what was it, five, ten years ago? They started ripping those out of. Where did they start taking those out of? They did take them out of schools. More, I'll give you a hint. Lady Justice, she's there. They took them out of the courthouse. I think, they, I think they're still in Peoria, I think. No? Took them? They yanked them out. Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. They were on the wall, or they had the symbols. They'd have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Right? So they either had the symbols or they had the commandments. And so um, they had those set up there, right? And now they're taking them away because they want to set their own rules. What happens when we set our own rules, Rebecca? You become the tyrant. You're like, I'm in charge until Aiden says, oh, no, you didn't. And he starts his rebellion, right? Yes, again, I can't keep that rebellion down. You know what this means? It means peace now. What's it, what did it mean? What letter does it make? It makes a V for Victoire, for victory. Yes, this used to mean victory. This used to be the French underground. When you wanted to know if somebody was part of the French underground, you put up the peace sign because this means victory because you can only have peace after the battle. Okay? There's a battle for each one of you in your life and how you're going to go. Are you going to choose to follow this code that we've been talking about so much, or something else? Or are you going to make your own rules? So we talked about, this is the illustration we talked about a couple weeks ago. We're making our brownies again. So what are some of the ingredients in brownies? Just say it. Brownie mix. If you're going to do the mix, you got it right there. We got chocolate, we got milk, we got butter, oil, sugar, eggs, some. Sometimes powdered sugar, yes. Um, flour, got to have flour in there, yes. A little bit of baking soda sometimes if you want them to light and fluffy, right? Okay. So we talked about making them at the Lannert's house because I was going to go out to the yard and add that extra ingredient to put it right on top. I'm just going to put a little bit of dog poop in there. Right, and we're gonna we'll mix it in. It's just a little bit, though. It's just a little bit. Just a little. It was a fresh one, and it stunk, but it was just a little bit. 
How many people here are going to eat those that brownies besides Trinity? Okay. Think of the same thing. Think of the same thing. Okay, we got, a, we got the big size of eggs downstairs, right? We got 18 eggs in those cartons, okay? And we're cracking the eggs. We're cracking the eggs. We're not looking. We're cracking the eggs. And the last one is a bad egg. You ever smelled a bad egg? It's a smelly one. It's bloody. It's definitely fertilized, and it's like it stinks to high heaven. No, I've not gotten that far. Um, yes. So I'm just going to mix that in because if I mix that in, we won't. It's just one bad egg out of, out of 18. We'll probably be okay. Have you guys ever ate a bad egg or had bad eggs before mixed in? I think they kind of taste like they smell. They don't taste good. Okay? And you know when one ingredient is bad, it ruins the whole batch. We're not going to eat those brownies. We're not going to eat our scrambled eggs. We are in trouble, right? That's why I don't cook for the re- youth retreat because I put dog poop in there, right? How's that translate to our lives today? One bad apple ruins a whole bunch. Um, one bad thing can ruin your life if you get more personal like Gage just did, right? So what if you just take and erode one rule? So you have five major rules you, you live by, and you say, I'm going to love my mom and dad. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to cheat, and I'm not going to covet my neighbor's things, which means I'm not going to want. I'm not going to want what my neighbor has, okay? So those are the the bottom five of the, the Ten Commandments, okay? I'm going to have those things, but the thing I'm going to just let slide a little bit is maybe I'll, I'll want a few things my neighbor has because, you know, I can save up and get them. What happens when you just let one of the five go? Right. If I got away with one, I can get away with the other, right? You start justifying your actions. It's okay. It'll be fine. I don't know why my voice is getting higher. It'll be fine. Right? So you start justifying your actions. You start looking at these things, and you're like, hmm, this is interesting. And that one thing that you let slide ruins the integrity of everything you have and your house collapses, right? So if you let one slide, what should you do with the other four after you start to restore it? You should check them, yeah? You need to do a self-evaluation, right? It's important to self-evaluate. Okay, here's another question for you. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being the lowest, like a little white lie, and 10 being murder... Are we, if I'm a mature Christian, as I feel like I am, am I capable of a level eight sin? I've been a Christian for 
almost 41 years. Four, I was four years old when I became a Christian. I gave my life to the Lord, like dedicated it to him, probably when I was 18-ish. Okay, so that's when I said, okay, the first one was fire insurance. Like, I don't want to go to hell. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you, Lord. The, the next step was, okay, I'm going to give my life totally to you in worship. Okay, that's called sanctification, by the way, if you're wondering what that word was. Okay, all right. Am I capable of a level eight sin? I think I am. Why? Right. There's a lot of circumstances that would cause me even a level 10 sin. Somebody came into my house and took out my kids. Um, they're going to have a hard time making it out of my house. Right? Right? So two wrongs don't make it right, though, either. Doesn't make it right. What about if... I stopped reading my Bible, if I stopped praying, if I stopped going to church, do you think my mind is going to stay on Jesus? No, it's definitely going to stray, right? That's all it takes. It's just a slow fade when you give yourself a wade. It's a slow fade when black and white, things I know are right and wrong, now I'm starting to shift and I see shades of gray. Thoughts invade. Choices are made. Um, I can't remember the other lyric. When you give yourself away, daddies never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. It's a cast and crown song. Very, very good song. So they end that song with this. It's a little kid singing. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Why do you think it talks? It does seem a little creepy, but it gets your attention because I grew up with that in Sunday school class. Some of you guys and gals knew that song, right? Some of you don't. What's it mean? It sounded right, but it needs to be louder. Yeah. To him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The what tells me so? If, folks, eyes here, here. If you are, you ever wake up with a bad dream in the middle of the night? You ever wake up terrified? Wake up, yes. Sing that song. It will drive away the fear. You say Jesus' name four or five times in one verse. There's actually three verses of that song. Maybe more. Yeah, Jesus loves me song. 
That song is so powerful because it tells the truth and it tells where the truth comes from, doesn't it? Why do you think they sing it in Sunday school so much? Well, good. It's good. You went to a good daycare. So, yes, I'm incapable of a level 8 sin. Apart from Christ, we could easily fall into a deep sin. And I can make it on my own mentally. When I say, oh, I can make it on my own, I'm already in trouble, aren't I? Whose strength am I dependent on? Mine. I'm not going to make it forever. So how wicked would I be if I didn't have Jesus taking the lead in my life? where I told you, I told you I was going to get deep, okay? Growing up, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, freshman, I had a mouth like a whip. I could make it sting. I could bend people to my will because, and I knew when I pushed them too far and they were going to come beat me up, I could back off, Right? And so I was very, very big manipulator on things like that. So not only could I manipulate that way, I could manipulate other ways. Where would I have gone if I didn't have Jesus? I probably wouldn't, probably been a womanizer, I'm pretty sure. Slept with whoever I wanted kind of thing. And I would have been, like Stacy said, bragging about it. Easily. I had an opportunity when I was a junior in college. I had a kid who said, get some money together. I'll show you like how to be like me. I can show you how to do it. And it freaked me out. I'm like, why am I even close to this? And I said, no, thank you. I could tell that was a Holy Spirit moment. There was something going wrong there. There's a guy in the Bible he goes along, first gets chafed, chased after by this, the king of Israel. Gets chased after by the king of Israel, and he is out in the desert, and he's crying out to God, God save me, God save me. Before that, he was a shepherd boy, and he said, God be near me. And he learned how to write um, poetry and, and, and praise God. And then he... Um, sees this dude. Israel's in trouble. King Saul's out there, and he sees this dude out there, and he comes out, and he mocks the army of Israel. He says, you guys are a bunch of little fleas compared to me. He's a big old giant guy, right? You guys know what story I'm talking about? David and Goliath, Okay. So David hears him mocking the army, doesn't say too much, just wants to know who this guy is. And then he does something really stupid. Goliath mocks God. And that infuriates David. He says, do you hear what he's saying? Do you hear what he's saying? David's oldest brother comes up to him and says, aren't you supposed to be tending sheep? Get out of here. He says to his older brother, aren't you going to do something? Don't you hear what he's saying about our God? And his older brother says, go on home and tend your sheep, David. 
You're not even supposed to be here. And David hears that there's a reward for beating Goliath. And he starts asking around what's going to happen, what's going to be there. And he hear, King Saul hears that somebody's interested in fighting him. King David's probably... Aidance, yeah, would be about your size. He is not any bigger than that. He's just a little guy. He's the youngest one in his family. He might be a teenager, might be. Just a young pup, right? Right around there. Okay. Yes. 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 Yeah, some of the Jewish people know that. Um, like a lot of the Levites come from Abraham's family, not necessarily Abraham's line, um, but Abraham's and other ancestors. Those are all, um, not Abraham, sorry, um, Aaron, Aaron and Moses. Moses' line of family and Aaron's too because they're the same, same line of family. Yeah. Yeah, only the. Yeah. And then you got, they can kind of trace back to King David, too. There's a lot of them that like to go back and say, I'm the rightful king of Israel right now. Um, so there's some sus things about that. But yes. So King David sees Goliath. He goes, and when he goes after Goliath, he says, um, I'm for Israel, and I'm for the Lord. And basically, you're dead. Takes a sling, hits him in the forehead, kills him, and then, what's he do next? That's right. Chops his head off, this big old head, runs around like a chicken with his head cut off, literally, except for it was his head cut off, right? And so he's running around, with this giant's head. The Israelites see it, they rally, and um, they win the day. David becomes great, then he has to run away from King Saul. King Saul chases him because he's jealous. After a lot, there's other stories in there that I'm leaving out. Um, King Saul loses his kingdom because he disobeys God. He does some two major things that... uh, Tick got off, and so he's done. And so then he um, dies in this battle. David becomes king. David, God has blessed David. And while David is out on the field, while he's on the battlefield, David is fine. He does well. He walks right with God. When David stops going out to battle, when men usually go out to war. I believe that's how it's said. Um, 
I'm assuming that's... Okay. That was your mom, right? And the white man? Okay. All right. So... When the season when men usually go out to war, David stays home. David stays home and he enjoys the night breeze. He's out on the palace because it's hot. Heat rises. He gets out and he's enjoying the breeze. Well, guess what else is on the rooftops? What? It could be birds. Something else. Think about people. What? Civilians, maybe. Um... No, they wouldn't have windows. They didn't have glass back then. Okay. What? What do you think, Craig? There was baths on the roofs. Okay. So he saw a girl taking a bath. Guess what? His rooftop. Was she being immodest? No, because... The roofs are the most private places that you could be unless you lived right next to the, to the palace who happened to be taller than you, and so he could see his subjects. He sees this girl named Bathsheba and says, Who is she? I want to go to, I want to sleep with her. Right? Uh, pretty close. Yeah, he was pretty direct. It is not. The original is not. Um, it is uh, a twisted version to, to make you think it is. Yeah, there's a, there's a version out there that Lincoln Brewster does that uh, kind of redeems that song. It's, ca- it's called Another Hallelujah. I really like. Anyway, so as we go along, he sees this woman sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, says, what am I going to do? He invites husband home. Husband, go sleep with your wife. Be, eat, drink, and be merry. He says, no, I can't do that. Not while your men are at war. I, I'll sleep down in the house. And he, so he goes, and he's like, dude, he's more honorable than I am. And so he's like, I'm going to get him really drunk, and then I'm going to send him home, and he'll have to sleep with his wife then. Well, he doesn't. He finds him in the morning, and he... And he, um, it's like, you didn't go home to your wife? No. So David writes him a letter and says, here, Uriah, hand this to, what's his name? Joab. Uriah has got a letter that is going to state his death in it. He trusts David. He hands it to Joash. Joash reads it, and he says, Okay, Joab, yeah, Joab, sorry, Joab, it says, put Uriah in the front lines, and if he doesn't die, press up against the wall and pull back, and then he will die. Basically, he wrote him his murder note because he has slept with his wife, he's trying to cover it up. So Nathan the prophet comes. Nathan the prophet comes after uh, the baby's about to be born, and he confronts King David. And he says, 
Well, now what did David start as? He was a shepherd boy, right? He probably has a, he probably has a thing for shepherd boys, right? It says there's this guy, and this has come straight out of, this is Nahum's uh, story, right? There's this guy, he's got all these sheep, and this one little shepherd boy, he's got one sheep, okay? And he takes care of that sheep, and he's um, fond of the sheep, treats it like one of his kids. There's a shep- this big shepherd, he's got all the sheep he needs in the world, and he's very well off, and somebody comes in that he needs to celebrate. He turns to that little boy, and he says, give me your sheep. And he takes the little boy's sheep, and he kills it for the meal for his friend that comes. And David says, that man should die. Nathan turns around and says, you are that man. Did I not give you the whole kingdom? Did I not give you any woman that you would want? Did I not give you everything that your hearts desired? And I would have given you more, David. That's what God says. But you took Uriah's wife as your own, and you had him killed. Saul didn't even do that. Saul was not even that wicked in his heart. What was the difference between Saul, the guy that just got the kingdom ripped away from him, and David, as David says, I have sinned. I I don't have any excuses. You got me? And he says, because you have sinned, the, the baby that is in the womb right now will die. And David goes into mourning, like I talked about last night, I think. Or was this morning? It was this morning. And he goes into um, weeping and wailing and putting ash on his, on his head and tears his clothes. And he puts sackcloth on it. It's, you ever had ash on you? Ever had somebody put ash on you? It is, it's horrible. It's hard to get out. And you put sackcloth, it's like burlap on your skin, and it hurts, and it's miserable. And he's showing his misery to the Lord, and he's pleading for this baby. The baby dies. They, they're afraid to tell King David. They, he hears him whispering, and he gets up, and he goes and gets cleaned. And he's like, is the baby dead? Yeah. And they say, why did you mourn? He said, while the baby was in the womb, there's still a chance that the Lord had mercy. Did that baby die because the baby sinned? No, the baby died because David sinned and Bathsheba sinned. It both takes two to tango, folks. He marries her, so there obviously was some attraction to each other, right? David seeks forgiveness from God. And there was consequences for the actions of that sin still. His, his oldest son rebels against him. Um, David never disciplines his children after that. There's some major things. But David looks at the boundary that God has created, that moral integrity, and he wanders close to the edge. And he starts to flirt with that. And he starts balancing out like this. And how far out can I go without going off the edge, right? And he wants to know, well, that, that looks really attractive down there, right? Well, what's he focusing on? 
Yeah, he's focused on the sin. He's not focusing on the cross. That's clear back there. So he's like, well, if I just dangle, maybe just dip my toe in there. Oh, no, I can't do that. What's he do? He falls all the way in. He goes all the way down. Right? Into sin. He hits a level 10. It's nothing worse than murder. Stealing a guy's wife, that's adultery. You can't, you can't do that. He took his eyes off the cross. In his case, it was the altar, but in our case, it's the cross, right? And then when he's caught, God pulls out the sword and chops his head right off, right? Did, did God have every right to do that? Absolutely. That is the mercy that we have in Jesus Christ. That is what he has to offer each one of us. And he will take that sin away from us and he puts it at the foot of the cross. When I come to the cross, Gage, when you come to the cross, when Will comes to the cross, when Kendra comes to the cross, when Craig comes to the cross, we are all on the same level. There's nobody that's higher. There's nobody that's lower. We're all at the same level. That's the beauty of Christianity. Punching the ticket to heaven is all the same. There's nobody special. Jesus tells us a parable about that, by the way. He says, um, people come at 9 a.m., 12, 3, and 5 to work the day. And he gives these guys a denarii, which is a, a day's wage. He gives the guys at noon a denarii, a day's wage. He gives the guy at 3 a denarii, and he gives the guy at 5 o'clock a denarii. And he says, hey, we worked all day, and we got the same pay. And the master of the house says, isn't it my right to give how I want to give? Just like God in heaven says, I have the right to give to the guy that accepts him at four, like me, or the guy that accepts him at 40, 60, or 80. God still has a place for that person in heaven, doesn't he? We're all equal at the foot of the cross. Okay? Yes, sir. Because there's always consequences to sin. I don't know. I don't know why. I can't, I can't, I could, I could make up an answer. That's one of the ones we're going to have to ask when we get there. There was a reason why. We just, we don't know. It's a tough one, isn't it? God's character, in a sense, right? Yeah, it does. It does. Let me pull that my glasses off. It's First Samuel, chapter seventeen, I think. That's Goliath. Well, it must be Second Samuel. Because that would be David's reign, right? Yeah. 
Second Samuel. Joab. Yes, Second Samuel chapter twelve. Um, says um, his advisors were amazed when they, he found out, right? We don't understand you, they told him. While the child was st- still living, you wept and refused to eat, but now the child is dead and you have stopped your mourning and are eating again. David replied, I fasted and wept while the Lord, when the child was alive, for I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live, but why, fa- why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. Yes. Yes. And then it says, yeah, David kept his... So he knows that um, the kid's going to be in the presence of the Lord. Okay? That's the only comfort there. Mark chapter 8. This is where we're going to end with tonight. Mark chapter 8. Verse 27, okay? Now, this is a story about Jesus, okay? What happens in Mark chapter 8 is Jesus feeds the 4,000. Now, Jesus feeds the 5,000 on the Jewish side. He feeds the 4,000 on the Gentile side, okay? He just heals the blind man. Wait, he talks about the yeast and the Pharisees of Herod and and the Pharisees, okay? He asked them, when I fed the 5,000, um, when I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets were left over? You picked up 12. When I fed the 4,000, how many were left over? Seven. How many um, do you not understand? And then he um, heals a blind man. Why do you think he heals a blind man right then? It's like, open your eyes, guys. Can't you see what I'm doing? Right, but he's using it as an illustration to his apostles, so his 12 followers, right? The 12 guys that are around and the disciples. He's saying, open your eyes, just like I'm opening these guys, this guy's eyes, I'm going to open your eyes so you can see and understand the scriptures. And then um, what do they start doing? They start arguing. They start arguing who's the greatest. And I think it's, I think it's in John that it, it says this. But they left, they left after that, and they start going up. They left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. Where they were walking along, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? Okay. When they saw Jesus feed the 5,000, was there any doubt in their mind that Jesus was the Messiah? They could see the miracle happening right there, right? When they saw Jesus, you guys looking for Mark? Or are you just flipping through? Okay. All right, so when you saw me feed the 4,000, was there any doubt that I'm the Messiah? No. When you saw me heal a blind man, was there any doubt that there was 
I'm the Messiah. No. Okay. They start wondering who amongst themselves is the greatest. Who's going to be number one? I want to know who's going to be number one. Who's going to be his general? Who's going to be his officer of this and things? They all want to know these things. So Jesus takes them up onto this mountain, and he looks down over this hill. They've just had this long journey through the desert, arid land. They're tired. They're hungry. They're thirsty. The the fish and the loaves from the 4,000, it's gone. It is gone on Zoe, right? It's they are starving. They get up to the top of the hill. They look over, and down below them, they see sin happening. They see this place where there's temple worship. They see this place where there's all this stuff going on with debauchery and sexual sin. is happening right in front of them, their face. And Jesus says, who do they say that I am? Sometimes... And they say, some say Elijah, some say one of the other prophets. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter replies, what? You are the Messiah. But Jesus warned him not to tell anybody. Sometimes when we are in the darkest moment in our life, and somebody reveals to us the truth of Jesus Christ, we can see it clearly. When David was in the depths of his sin and God had mercy on him, did it mean more to him then what God's mercy meant? Absolutely, right? The same with us. When you understand the depth of your sin, you understand what God has done when he gave up his son on the cross to die for us. It was a big sacrifice. Right? It was a big deal. You're distracting me. Thanks. It was a big deal. Is it a big deal to you? That's my question. Is it a big deal to you? If it is a big deal, God wants you to do something about it. He wants you to make a decision. Are you for me or are you against me? Are you willing to surrender to my ways and what I have, the plans I have for you? Or are you going to choose your own way and you might get back to where you choose the same plan as God, but you might not? And that's the danger, right? We see that a lot, people choosing their own way. Makes it a little bit more real, real this year, doesn't it? Okay? Some of you guys will understand that in a couple years. If surrender is something that you want to do, it's a simple prayer. It is because a lot, a lot of Christians today, they will say, a prayer won't get you to heaven. And they're right. A prayer doesn't get you to heaven. But I think it's a good starting point. 
right? It's a good starting point to get you on your faith walk, okay? So the prayer goes like this. So you want to admit that you're a sinner first, okay? You want to say, Jesus, I've sinned. And I know that separates me from you because that's what we talked about all weekend, right? And even though I'm a sinner, I know that God gave up his son for me to pay the price for my sin. Lord, I accept your free gift of life. Forgive me of my sin and give me a new heart filled with you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Why do we pray in Jesus' name? Because that's where our authority, that's where the power that we have in Jesus comes from, okay? It comes from the Lord, okay? If you're like, yeah, that's something I want to do tonight. That's something I want to take care of. You can pull Amy or Jesse or Stacy aside or myself and say, I want to get right with the Lord. I want it. That's something I need to talk to him about. Okay? We're here for you. That's, that's why I do what I do. I'm like a shepherd. I can lead you to the water. But you're the one that has to take the drink. I can't make you drink. Okay? That's a big deal. And it's hard. Because I'm not going to say it's easier to become a Christian. I'm not going to say, oh, your life's going to turn great. Honestly, it does for about six months. I think there's about six months grace period, and then it gets hard sometimes. Those trials come. And I've warned some of you about that, didn't I? I said, it's going to come. And you're like, oh, no, it's not going to make it. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, here it is. Right? And you want to give up. Yeah. Satan is coming for you. But you got to take that as a blessing because if Satan's coming for you, that means you're dangerous in Jesus' name. There's something there. Something different. See what I did there? Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our this group of kids. Oh, we thank you for what you've done for us, Lord. We thank you that there is hope in Jesus Christ and that we can rest in that hope and find hope for a future and the next. Lord, we thank you that you don't just offer that to one, but you offer it to all. And each one of us has an opportunity to have a, a relationship with you. We ask you to guide us in your ways, Lord. We pray that we'd be able to seek you and find you as we come this weekend seeking you with all our heart. Guide and direct us closer to you, Lord. Let us not stumble or stray. And Lord, I pray for those that have asked for new life in you tonight and they put their stake in the ground uh, that your hand of protection would be on them as well. Guide and direct us, Lord. Please protect us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.